So we're on our third piece of the mission statement today. Two weeks ago, Pastor Garrett preached on loving God, and last week we heard about serving others. I wonder what today is about. Anybody got a guess? Julie? Good job. You've got it. We're talking about growing together. And I know you just sat down, but I'm going to have you stand back up. <laughs> Let's listen to the word today. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is a case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out for help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. The word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. So, Ecclesiastes, I learned this week, is one of the hardest books of the Bible to preach out of, but here we go, we're going to try it. People think that it's written by King Solomon because at the very beginning of the, of the book, it mentions something about being the son of David, but it doesn't actually say it anywhere in the book, so we're not really sure. Um, the word Ecclesiastes means, um, I'm going to pronounce it wrong because it starts with a Q, but it doesn't sound like it, Koheleth, I think that's the word, Koheleth, which means teacher or preacher, and therefore that's what most theologians go by, and that's what I'm going to go by today. The persona of Koheleth is a royal figure. He's someone who has worked for more and more wealth his entire life and has seen the result of it. In order to provide wisdom to others, Koheleth wrote the book of Ecclesiastes from an example of his own life so that others would not succumb to the pitfalls that he did. In the passage today, Koheleth describes a man who has worked really, really hard, devoting all of his time and energy to his job. This man has literally invested everything about himself to the wealth that he earns in his occupation. He describes himself as being all alone, with no family, no friends, and no one to share his wealth with. While it may seem as though he is working for sustainability, the reality is, and they describe this throughout all of Ecclesiastes, so not my word, his word, is that he is working for vanity. Research shows that social isolation correlates with problems such as high blood pressure, heart disease, anxiety, and depression. I don't know about you, but none of those things sound like sustainability. What does create an atmosphere of sustainability is community-mindedness. In the ancient time when Koheleth wrote Ecclesiastes, it was extremely dangerous to travel alone. In verses 10 through 12, Koheleth describes three scenarios where it benefits to not be alone. Two people can help one another. When they were traveling, it was really easy to fall and get injured. And if you were alone, you were stuck to figure it out yourself. But if other people came with you, then they could bandage you and pick you up and help you carry on. Fire was not always achievable during travel, and so sharing body warmth was a healthy way of maintaining body temperature. If you traveled alone, that meant you were surviving off your own body heat. 
And it was really hot during the day, but it was pretty cold during the night. Robbers often waited on the road for people to pass by, specifically looking for people to travel alone so they could take over the easy target. It's far less likely to be attacked when you're traveling with a companion. Being a part of a community of people creates an atmosphere of sustainability. There's plenty of modern examples of how to be a part of a body of people, and um, this sermon is one of those. <laughs> As a pastor, I'm part of a body of people who work to understand the word of God so that I can teach it to the people of God. I could have written this sermon by myself, but I don't think it would have been very theologically sound. <laughs> Instead, I went through the passage with Georgia, and we broke it down verse by verse. I dove into two different study Bibles, one of my textbooks, and two scholarly journals to prepare for this sermon. Being a part of a body of pastors allowed me the opportunity to create a sound theological sermon for you all today. Another example is being a part of a soccer team. For someone who doesn't play sports, I talk about sports a lot. I'm so sorry. <laughs> in soccer, there are, is a play called a free kick, where the goalie will stand in the goal box while the other player from the opposing team takes a shot at the goal from a short distance. If the goalie just stands there by himself, there's a lot of open space for the ball to go, and you kind of just have to guess where it's going. You have to lunge and hope for the best. If you lunge the wrong direction, you miss the ball. However, when the other team, no, not other team, other teammates, <laughs> are standing in a straight line in front of the goalie, they help to defend the goal, and it makes it much harder for the opponent to make it in the net. I have a really fun clip that I'm gonna have Ryan and Julie play for us that shows this example. Won the free kick. He went under them. He tries to go under Suarez. He really has. Good Brozovic later. Can you see what's happening? Do you see the person on the ground? It's easier to see from the back. Look at that. Impressive. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to be the goalie without a teammate to help me. The thing is, unlike the man who gained only wealth, we have to take action to join a team. The goalie in that video had no reason to be on the field without a team to play with. We have to choose to be a part of a community. Um, I've heard people inside and outside the church say that no one would ever check on them if they're in the hospital. No one would ever help with handiwork in a time of need. No one would ever call if they hadn't been seen in a while. In reference to today's passage, William P. Brown writes, the one who goes through hardships alone has only himself or herself to blame for suffering in loneliness. If you want to be loved and supported by people, you have to be in community with people. You have to show up where people are. You have to join groups. And in alignment with our mission statement, you have to be in a place where you can grow together with others. You are stronger with the support of others. At District Assembly this past June, um, we had General Superintendent Dr. Gustavo Crocker come and he shared an important message about being a part of a community. And he said some words I'm not sure I'm ever going to forget. We are good to gather. We are so much better together. We have fun when we come for all church picnics like we did last week. We have fun when we come out for the hog roast or New Year's Eve Eve parties or trunk or treat. We're really good when we gather, but we're so much better when we come together and grow together. Last year, on September 14th, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. 
There was a surgery for a lumpectomy of cancer and daily radiation treatments. There was a second surgery for the removal of two more lumps that were discovered in November. There was exhaustion from the treatments, disheartening as she adjusted to the scars of surgery, pain from the healing process, and less opportunity for community because of her low immune system during her treatments. It came time for my mom to finish her treatments, and I was super excited um, for her, and I asked her if she, she was gonna participate in the bell ringing ceremony. Have you heard of those bell ringing ceremonies? You finish your treatment, and you get to go ring the bell in front of everybody at the hospital, and you, you get everybody cheering for you. It's super exciting. And so I was like, Mom, are you, are you thrilled for it? And you can see it on her face right now. And she was not excited at all. <laughs> You see, my grandma got to ring that same bell the day that she finished her breast cancer treatments. And it was really exciting for us. It was an exciting day for her. I've got pictures to commemorate it. Those pictures are kind of hard to look at now because there's bitterness in a bell ringing that um, you later lose the loved one from that very thing you're celebrating for. Grandma died of brain cancer, and that's all my mom could think about. Julie, if you want to put those pictures on the screen for me. This was not good enough for her life group. My mom deserved a moment to praise God for carrying her through such difficult times. February 1st of this year, my mom chose not to ring the bell at the hospital, but her life group gave her a bell ringing ceremony anyway. In the pictures on the screen, you can see everyone in her life group on the porch of my grandpa's house where my mom lives, masked up to protect her immune system, carrying banners and posters, flowers and balloons, and Victor even had his giant bell for my mom to ring that day. It was a great celebration for what God had done to heal my mom's body. Her life group had been checking on her throughout her treatments. I know that Dana called several times when she had a bad day, and they showed up to see her victory through to the very end. This is community. This is growing together. Um, Julie, go ahead and put that next picture on the screen for me. <sighs> on July 8th, my entire life turned upside down. The only word to describe my situation is a crisis. What I'm experiencing right now is a situation that could make or break a person's spiritual walk. It could crumble hope. It could destroy trust in people and it could create the most isolating circumstances anybody could ever experience. On the screen is the name of every person who reached out to me within the first month of my crisis. I cannot imagine what it would have been like to go through what I am going through alone. It is because of the community God has provided, because of the people who I have grown together with, it is because I did not and do not face this tragedy alone that I am standing before you not quite whole, but far from broken. We are good together, but I am a living example of how we are so much better together. Amen. If you want to put the next one up, Julie. We have so many opportunities for growing together at TC Naz. I asked people on Facebook this week, what do you love about your discipleship groups? And the answers were actually really similar. Discipleship brings about closeness, companionship, friends becoming family, fellowship, 
support during trials. Discipleship brings the community that I've been talking about this whole morning. And we're going to break those down right now. <laughs> there are two Bible studies that happen here at church. One is on Monday nights, and this is the women's group. The other is on Tuesday mornings, and it's the men's group. And if you love Frisch's breakfast, go to that men's group. They go every single morning, and they love them over there. <laughs> These are two great ways to dig deeper into the word on a weekly basis. There's also a class that meets on Monday morning, not Monday, Sunday mornings, in the conference room before church. This class is open to all ages, and it's a less intimate way of being discipled, because I think we have 18 people in that class a week now. That's pretty amazing. So if you're kind of scared to talk, that's the class for you. I don't like speaking, so that's, that's my class. <laughs> for more information about these Bible studies, please see Marilyn. Marilyn will help you get plugged in on the Bible studies on Monday nights. And Don Knopfsinger can help you with the Tuesday Bible study and the Sunday morning class. Right, Don? You can help me with that? Thanks, man. <laughs> we have a children's discipleship opportunity beginning tonight, and that is Bible quizzing. Bible quizzing is for children first through fifth grade. It is a six-year program with a competition element. It's important to help children know what the Bible says and how to them, help them demonstrate the Bible, biblical teachings in actual real-life situations. The goal of children's quizzing is for children to know the God of the Bible, including the Old Testament, because I think sometimes we forget about who he is in the Old Testament. That's not what we're doing here. We are learning him, and we are knowing him personally. This year, we're going through 1 and 2 Samuel, and it's going to be a great quiz year. I'm so excited. Last year, we had six kids make it to district quiz, and two go on to regional. And this year, we don't even have regional quiz, because we have world quiz. If you don't know what world quiz is, you get to come alongside kids from all over the globe and quiz and compete, and it's going to be at General Assembly. So exciting. I am passionate about quizzing, clearly, because I was the quizzer myself, and now I get to be the quiz coach. If your child is interested in signing up, please come see me after service. It starts tonight, and it is not too late to sign up. I would be happy to plug them in. Another discipleship opportunity that begins tonight is the relaunch of Velocity Teen Group. This is an opportunity for all teens from 6th grade through 12th grade who want to come together, play some games with Pastor G, maybe beat them at basketball, and dig into the word in a unique way that's geared toward teen development. This year, Velocity is launching with a science-based discipleship series called Catalyst, and I don't like science, but when you talk to Pastor G, I really want to be a part of it. Like, if quizzing wasn't at the same time, I might just slip in to hear those lessons. Like, they sound really cool. So you definitely want to go. In addition, I didn't get Pastor G's permission to mention it, but I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> Pastor G is starting a one-on-one -on -one discipleship opportunity for our teens to connect with others in the church. We're going to create an atmosphere of support that permeates through generations. It's brand new. That's why G did not tell me I could say it, but I don't care. <laughs> it's brand new, and Garrett is still developing this multi-generational discipleship opportunity. But if this sounds like something you're interested in, go see him after service. He wants to get you plugged in. He wants you to meet those teens. There are some awesome teens in our church who just want to be loved. Show up and love them. Pastor G wants that for you. If you're a teen and you're like, oh, maybe I won't go to a Velocity, you should go because I heard there's free pizza, and that's always a reason to go. So definitely go tonight. We want you to be a part of it. We have one-on-one -on -one opportunities for adults as well, and this is a program called The Quest. I don't think very many people know about it, so I'm going to share a little bit about it. If you're seeking to grow in your faith, 
to learn more deeply about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then this one-on-one six-week Bible study will do just that. The quest focuses on the core of what we believe, the core of our mission statement that we've been reviewing through this series. It is formatted to be about an hour long each week, and it's a great opportunity for anybody in any step of faith. You could be on your 10th year at church, or you could be at your 10th minute of church. This is a great opportunity for you to know more about him. It's also a really great place to start if you're nervous to be in groups, because it's one-on-one. You can sign up for the quest on our website, or if you just want to talk to me, I will plug you in, I promise. On September 6th, that's in just two weeks if you didn't know, mark your calendars, we're going to be relaunching our life groups. Life groups are hosted out of somebody's home for about an hour a week. In the past, we've done sermon-based life groups, but this year we're doing a little bit different, and we're going to let the facilitators or the leaders decide what they'd like to lead on. My mom, Molly Tennant, is leading one on Wednesday nights out of the Murphy's house. Denise Hooper hosts a life group on Thursday nights. Julie Pottinger, who's back and doing slides, she does one um, on Tuesday nights out of the Crafts house. Matt Ward is leading a group on Sunday nights, and I'm leading one on Thursday nights as well, but we both need a place to host. So if, if you've got a home that you're willing to let us use, that'd be great. Because <laughs> right now I'm just going to be floating wherever. I don't even know where I'm leading. <laughs> Life groups are where you not only dig into the word in an applicable way alongside other believers, but you do life with others. You get a bell ringing on the front porch kind of experience. You share about your week, seek accountability, and support one another. That was a really short sermon, and I'm not quite done, but I'm going to invite the praise team back up for just, for just a little bit for me. I have a reason for being short, and I'll tell you later. <laughs> I just listed off 11 different discipleship opportunities. If none of those are calling out to you, I encourage you to lead your own life group or your own Bible study or your own Sunday morning class. There's no excuse for sitting back and choosing not to participate in discipleship. That sounded a little demanding or maybe like I'm creating a guilt trip, but that's not what I'm doing. I just want you to see the vitality of discipleship. Hebrews 10.25 reads, Let us not neglect meeting together as some do, but encourage one another. Psalm 149 reads, 149.1, just one verse, reads, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises in assembly of faith. That verse didn't say to sing them alone, but in assembly. Rejoice for what God has done in your life with the people in your discipleship group. Acts 2.43 reads, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing meals and prayer. That verse comes out of a passage of scripture titled, The Believers Form a Community. Galatians 6, 2 through 3 reads, Share each other's burdens in the way that is obedient to the law of Christ. And if you think you're too important, you are only fooling yourself. If you don't think discipleship is something you're called to be a part of, I'd be happy to read those verses again, or I could find some new ones for you. I just gave lots of examples. I don't want you to look back on your life like Kohaleth did and find that all you've done is meaningless. Please, church, don't choose loneliness. Choose community. Do more than gather. Grow together. So we ended a little bit early because 
you get to go and meet these people. They're here in the building right now. If you're interested in the men's Bible study or the Sunday morning class, Don, raise your hand for me. Wave it around. There he is. Go talk to Don. If you're interested in the women's Bible study, Marilyn, raise your hand. There she is. Go see her. If you're interested in quizzing or being a part of my life group, I'm right here. You can see me. Easy. If you're interested in velocity or being a part of that one-on-one teen discipleship, Pastor Garrett, raise your hand. Look at that. So easy. If you're interested in my mom's life group or Matt Ward's life group or a missing one, Denise isn't here, but I can plug you in. If you're interested in Julie's life group, all those people, raise your hands. Look at them. They're right there for you. I think I listed them all. Oh, the quest. If you're interested in the quest, I'd be happy to plug you into that. Keep our mission statement at the forefront of your heart this this fall. Love God, serve others, grow together. You are dismissed.